0: Hey, every week, every Tuesday, we're going to try to get together with Eric Buchanan and talk about our Constitution and the Bill of Rights, why they were written, how they were written, the expectations, uh, some history behind the people who put them together, and more importantly, how are they still relevant today? How have they changed throughout history? The years. Eric Buchanan and Associates is the sponsor of these conversations. Eric Buchanan Associates, you can find them at Buchanan Disability.com, Disability.com, or 877 634 2506. Conversations centered around our Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Uh, it is of buying for the people. These are conversations centered around the American experiment and headlines. We bring up some headlines and lay it down against those foundational principles of our country and kind of hash some stuff out. I'm your host. I'll be the only one with the American flag, by the way, as a background because apparently I'm more patriotic and that's just how it works. Um, let's do this. Let's bring up Eric Buchanan and I'm going to ask all three of these folks to do a short bio of who they are and then I'm gonna throw meat into the arena. Here we go, Eric Buchanan. Three, two, one.
1: What's up, buddy? Hey, Clint. How are you? Good to see you. This is gonna be fun. It will be. I'm looking forward to this.
0: She's already, before she's come on, given us two other topics for two other podcasts down the road.
1: (laughs) She's going to have to come on for extra podcasts. This is going to be be a fun special event for our podcast. I will be very quick. I'm Eric Buchanan. I'm a disability insurance attorney. I sue insurance companies to help people get their benefits. There's uh, me and five other attorneys in my office, and we do that all over the United States. If you have a disability insurance policy and are denied by the insurance company, give us a call. We do it all over the U.S. We work with other attorneys. My background, I went to the Virginia Military Institute, I flew P3s in the Navy during the end of the Cold War, chasing Soviet submarines around the uh, Arctic Circle and North Atlantic to make sure they didn't blow up the world, and then I went to law school, especially focused on constitutional law. I was a history major as an undergrad, I love the Constitution, U.S. history, and I consider myself to be, I guess I would call it a patriotic libertarian.
0: All right, so we're going to move quick. Matthew Durham, you're on deck, here we come three two one what's up matthew
2: gentlemen how you doing
0: i'm good how are you doing buddy i'm not bad not bad i just want to i want to make sure you're comfortable with the conversation we are not going to call you the names that we called you off the air those it's off the table for this conversation
2: (laughs) so disappointed
0: (laughs) no identity politics what's going on tell everybody who you are buddy
2: hi so yeah i'm matthew durham i'm a phd student at the university of tennessee at chattanooga and i am uh, studying learning and leadership and primarily how to bridge ideological divides be that uh uh, cultural or religious or political uh, and others and i got my master's degree in uh, psychology focusing on research also from utc my undergraduate in philosophy also from utc And uh, before that, I worked for eight years in cancer research and never once have I thrown a P3. (laughs) Thrown or flown one. It's true.
0: Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I was going to introduce Monica as we're just going to have an hour conversation on Fauci, but I'm not going to do that because she (laughs) she totally could look at thumbs down. Here we go. Let's just bring up Monica Perez. Three, two,
3: one. What's up, Monica Perez? Hi, guys. This is a very fun way to start the day. I'm super psyched.
1: Because uh-huh. where you live, it's,
0: it is it is truly morning time.
3: Oh, dude, totally. Like, I had to struggle to look decent. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, just to be clear to our audience, you're in California,
3: right? Yes, California. Oh, well, my God, it's so crazy. <laughs>
1: greetings from free America.
3: Yeah, totally. I uh, it's, it's worse than it sounds. It's worse than it sounds. It's because the people believe. They are true believers. I
1: saw saw a list of bills being proposed that are about to go through the legislature, include making it illegal for doctors to give advice that was against the medical consensus. Holy oh cow, that gosh, was like one of 10.
3: Science, yeah. is. science yeah. is democracy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we vote. Yeah, yeah. We, could, we
1: could talk about California for the whole hour
3: too. Oh my gosh, no, no, no. I'm <laughs> renting. I'm just renting here. <laughs> I, can t- I I was going to throw it out
0: there. There is the possibility that, that Monica and her family does find a free state to move to in the next year or so. Yeah, I did uh, tell
3: my husband that like, we have some options. We have some options.
0: Yes, we do. Tell everybody real quick. Uh, who you are, a little bit about your podcast. And I think what we might do is after that introduction, let you tell your story on, or if you want to include it, why you moved out of radio and where you were before podcast.
3: Okay. Well, I was never really interested in broadcasting. It wasn't my thing at all. I was an investment banker. And I just met a radio producer who found my ideas interesting. And my ideas were that I had recently discovered Hans-Hermann Hoppe, Murray Rothbard, and I was had already decided or concluded that the idea of self-limiting government was a utopian fantasy that the American experiment was the best you could possibly do. It was it, at they they considered America kind of a blank slate. It was at the um, <clears throat> you know, when the Enlightenment had open people's ideas to self-governance or liberty or however you want to put it, reason. And the guys who ran that show—Jefferson, Patrick Henry, my favorite—like they were the best that you could get, and they did it for us. And 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 here we were with George Bush signing a bill that uh, banned light bulbs. So that was it for me. That was the tipping point—the light bulb ban. And they're like, "It's not a light bulb ban." I'm like, "Okay, whatever. Where am I in a light bulb?" So. I had already realized that it was hopeless. And then I discovered Hans Hermann Hoppe was like, it's not hopeless. The self-limiting government is hopeless, but it's not necessary because society is self-ordering. So I was just talking about this at a wedding and the woman next to me was a radio producer. She invited me to meet her boss and he put me on the air. And I had a weekend show basically from that moment on until I started... Talking about Event 201, which was a front runner to the novel coronavirus. And I started making accurate predictions. People were saying it was two weeks. I was like, try more like two years. And uh, this was in Atlanta, where the CDC is. So I didn't last very long. But I have to say, I kind of was worried because the station had been bought by a financial sponsor rather than the family that owned it. And I kind of had a feeling things would change when the actual management changed. So with my producer on the air, we started a podcast. So that was the Monica Perez show. And now we do the propaganda report, including I brought my training to bear the drive time news blast, which is a is news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty and justice. And then uh, the day that my program director, whom I loved, left was the day. I was basically frog-marched out. So I was right about a lot of things. And it's been better, though, because I was really still on the weekends, and now I I get to uh, kind of analyze the news in real time. And it's been a godsend for a lot of people during lockdown, because if, you, if you're if you open to some of these things, these ideas, they, the powers that be, they tell. They tell you what they're going to do. You just have to know where to look, and you can kind of at least – Stay one step ahead of it, or at the very least, not think you're crazy when you hear people who agree with you that this is all that they're all crazy. It's just the majority that's crazy.
0: And you host that with your you got a yes, a Brad Knigley
3: is my co-host. He was my producer at on the Monica Perez Show, and now he's my co-host on this. And we do that show together, and then we do deep dives on Rockfin, and then we do a lot of interviews, also just uh, on Friday. So we have a variety. It's like a variety show. <laughs>
0: Do you still consider yourself a libertarian?
3: Yes, I think I've always been a small L libertarian, and there's no way to move away from that, I think, and maintain the concept of free will. Uh, so I am a libertarian. I do. I mean, we could get into where I don't and, and I won't unless you want me to. But that I think. I used to talk about libertarian as a theoretical thing in the framework of the laws, the constitution, stuff like that. And I realized when lockdown happened that really, if I were really a libertarian, I would have chickens and guns. And so for me, I was just jawboning and I really should have been preparing. And so I think you have to assert your liberty if you're really realistic about the nature of power and the human nature of some, you know, not all, not most, but enough to to constantly seek domination, the political means of of advancement against the economic means of advancement. You got to defend yourself against that and I I was not ready.
0: So uh, so that struggle of the political family where you belong. I got I got to flip the script. Matthew, is that something that you're going through a little bit too? I think we all are.
2: Yeah, I mean the fact that we're all talking to each other in this context now, to some degree, at least to me, would have been unthinkable ten years ago. Um, you know, I, I I'm often finding myself in this position now, where and, and perhaps Monica, you, Monica, you can you can uh, you've experienced this to some degree too, where I have to constantly ask myself, this this is so insane. Am I crazy? Am I going crazy? Yeah. Yes. Like, am I? Am I legitimately losing my mind yeah and uh you know, I, there's a lot of folks out there that that have sort of been pointing at all of these things for quite a while and they've been getting lambasted those
0: are called uh, conspiracy theorists
3: by the way ah, yes that was that was what people used to call me but now every time i have those doubts i look at the actual facts and i mean you can't deny you could go back and look at In time, you know, two years ago, we could see what was going to happen, then it happened. Or you can look at the lies and the contradictions and say, look, I'm not crazy when it comes to that. I've been studying the Ukraine situation in depth. That's one of the few things I've been really in depth about since eight years ago, since the beginning. Numerous articles, numerous shows on that. I really felt like I, I understood it. And, uh, but so many people will just bombard you. It's complicated. It's too complicated to get your mind around. And then I read this enormous essay by, uh, Archbishop Vagano over the weekend, or is it Vagano? I believe, but over the weekend. And I mean, it was so, so long. And I'm telling you the my opinion of it all aligned perfectly with his. Now, maybe that's a narrative that's been put out there for me to absorb, but you can find my, my narrative makes sense and has evidence. And so I feel like the plausibility, the credibility, all the things that go into assessing um, a, a story are on my side. The only thing that isn't, and it's the only thing that we're told to care about, is the um, the authority. The that I, I went to a, a high school like pitch, so they wanted my. I was looking at high school to send my kids to, and one of them said. Uh, We teach kids how to do internet research and we teach them the three rules of internet research, authority, authority, authority. (laughs) I was like that. Oh, I'm not, that is not an exaggeration. And I was, so that that's that. And, And it's authority. It's not even sources. It's not evidence. It's authority. And they told us how you should go to CBS news and not anything else. CBS news. That was her example. Wow. Yeah. She said go to the New York times food review, not Yelp. It was like, really? 5,000 people telling you in great detail what they liked or didn't like uh, versus one guy who might be getting an extra bottle of Dom for his efforts?
0: And if he does anything different, he could get fired.
3: Of course. Yeah. Yeah. One guy. Fair. I mean, it's just not non-democratic as they would. They like to say they're, dem- dem- you know, everything's democratic. You know, it's like it's not democratic.
1: So, Matthew, you made a point about 10 years ago, we would not have all been talking to each other. 10 years ago, Clint Monica, and I would have had a conversation about who was the coolest libertarian, and <laughs> and that would have been what we would have been arguing over, and you would have been still a radical lefty, thinking you were on the extreme far left, because they hadn't come out of the woodwork as much yet 10 years ago. Now they've kind of taken over the left, forcing normal people to kind of all of a sudden figure out if they're, or, am I a moderate, am I a libertarian, what am I, that's that's what I have seen the change on that side um monica when when let's let me dive in with a question for you because you talked about your kids going to this maybe going to this high school where they were teaching internet research means authority 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 one of the things that i've seen unmasked by COVID over the last couple years is how much our kids are being indoctrinated. that public slash government schools are doing that. Private schools are doing that. The whole thing Matthew was talking about with the, with the CRT. Do you think we have uncovered enough of that, that there's going to be enough pushback to make a difference?
3: <clears throat> well, that's really the ultimate question of our time, of the here and now, is, you know, has the, has the I say this is that the remnant has become self-aware. So, people now know that they didn't really believe all that, um, but they used to think they didn't, so there was all these things like we don't believe, we have no faith in congress, there's no faith in media. There are all these polls over the past ten years, probably where the faith in those things were like at ten percent. Now, I feel like the reality is on the ground, the faith in those things are like seventy or eighty percent. I think I don't know if other people are seeing this realizing this, but the private schools. Are in a network. They actually conspire and they send out the same memos. They discuss that. I, I, I'm not talking about my own personal experience, but I got an email, which I'm not saying it isn't. But I, I got an email like where they actually said the school was saying like we have conferred with the other private schools in the area and have agreed that this is our policy. So, so those are all lost, and those are the pipeline to. Power and then the the state schools are the pipeline to uh, you know, slavery basically. And I really feel like that whole operation varsity blues was about taking private money out of those private schools that are below, like the Ivy League and above the state schools for middle America to actually have some choices. If you are throwing people in jail for their contributions. If your kid is actually going to end up at that school, you could completely shut down those options. So even though people become aware of it, then I think you, you get to the point where I've come, where I might even consider, uh, I I actually said to my son, so my daughter, like she, she's not contrary minded or she, she won't, she likes to, she likes to fit in, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to, Uh, label her, but I don't, she's not open to this, but I said to my son, who's a great student, I said, if you would rather have your college money, I'm not a fan of you going to college, take the money and either buy a farm or learn how to build houses, like just, just do something else with the money. And he's seriously considering that. I, I don't think he's going to go for that. I think he'd go to school first and become an architect if that's what he was going to do. But I see the trend of people thinking that. And then you've got the agorism, which is where I want to go after anarcho capitalism. I, I just think capital has been so bastardized that that's not even the, I can't even call myself an anarcho capitalist anymore, but an agorist, which would be more leaning towards off the grid. But I feel like that's a big trap. I feel like it's the, it's the, it's the, Tune in, tune out, or whatever. Uh, turn on, tune out of the '60s. It's like they want to neutralize the freest thinkers politically. By you know, it's like they were there were draft dodgers in the '60s who had to go to Canada. They were out. They were out of the political system. We have vax dodgers now who are out. They're out of. Uh, they have no credibility whatsoever. They're delusional. They're um, they're pro Russia. You know, it's just they're all put in this basket. And I feel like if. We have to be very careful that if you are awakened to all of this because of the the way your kids are, um, what they're learning in school, they're being indoctrinated, and you go too far in the other direction, I think the Catholics call it the Benedictine, or the Benedict option, uh, as if you don't keep one foot on the ground in in town hall, or make sure that you have the right to collect rain on your property, or to defend it with, you know, (laughs) Waco-level arms, you're, you're really... You're not going to win that battle, and you're actually, I think, forfeiting.
0: Well, I was so, just going to say, you said a, a bunch of stuff, and one thing that gets me about people when we say this thing, uh, <clears throat> everything the government does and and imposes on us, at the end of our non-compliance is violence or force. <clears throat> so, if we decide that we just don't want to pay this, or we don't like this thing, even if we're very peaceful about it, the government. Can come in, and Ben Shapiro talks about this on his podcast all the time. At the end of a government law, or restriction, or rule, is the the hint, hint, nod, nod, wink, wink of you can do this, or else. There, we can imprison you, we can find you out of your business. There is violence on the other end of this if we need to. Going back to the school thing, I've said this on this podcast. I don't know for a year. I'm a big believer that eventually the state will get more involved very out in the public, I mean, out in the open with private schools. They're going to have to because as more and more parents in the middle class take to try to find those other alternatives. The government is not going to let a huge segment of people go uncontrolled and not have some. They're going to they're going to change the standards. They're going to change something and they are going to get very active.
3: Yes, I actually was very alarmed a couple of years ago when I saw that there was a public school option for K to 12, that you could do it at home. It was a homeschool option for public school. And then when the Zoom thing came down so that all the private schools were Zooming, I call that, or what the powers that be call, flood the zone. They're flooding the zone of homeschooling so that you have all these options. So for a while there, the only structured option for homeschooling for someone like me would have been Ron Paul School Revolution. And that would have been great. And but now you you couldn't you you'd have a hard time even finding that. And you would you're likely going to pick from just what you would have to pick from from going to school. I think they're really trying to drown that out. And I think the government will start regulating it too. I agree.
1: So well, let me push back on that for both of you guys because there's Monica. You're in California, and California, I think, yeah, all the public schools are. are totally corrupt and the government and the, and the private schools, if they're all coordinating stuff, but it feels different here in Tennessee. And I'll, I'll say it again in the, in the, in free America. Yeah. uh, My law, my uh, law partner uh, has been, was, was homeschooled until college. He's been homeschooling his kids, but his oldest daughter really wanted to go to school. She became one of two kids having to wear a mask at the Episcopal school that she was going to because they weren't vaccinated. So they're starting a hybrid school with about 25 kids. They found a Lutheran church here in town that's gonna let them use their classroom. And it's gonna be part-time homeschool, part-time classroom work, so the kids can get both experience. It's non-denominational Christian. And, and those opportunities are still out there. So going back to what you said about giving up and going off the grid or just giving up and saying it's hopeless, I'm, my pushback is if you stay engaged, if you keep working to find solutions, there are ways around having your kids be indoctrinated in government schools and, and the other pushback I'll give is what I see in the state of Tennessee, at least at the local level, we still have a government that is responsive when people who have concerns over liberty and freedom. I go to the Tennessee State Legislature fairly often. I was past president of the Trial Lawyers, and they're they're very responsive. They 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 will have these conversations. So it doesn't hurt that if you give them a little money to get their attention, the old fashioned politics games. But it's not the totally corrupt buying into every far left idiotic idea that comes out of Berkeley that all of the California has totally adopted we still have the opposite here and then part of the reason that's why it's such a big fight at the federal level because they can come in and change stuff but if you're in Oklahoma or Texas or Florida or Tennessee or any of those red states it still feels to some extent like free America and you can make change
3: well, I have to say, it's so weird because the private schools, I have three kids. One goes to a public school, two go to different private schools. And during lockdown, the public school was way better. They, they were way more lenient about the masks. When the governor said that there was going to be a vaccine mandate, the principal immediately sent out an email because the parents just started keeping their kids home that if you filled out the forms correctly for an exemption, no exemption would be denied so the public schools were very responsive i think probably because they had a legacy and i know this sounds like it's something a libertarian can't has a hard time acknowledging but in this day and age i'm starting to see it's true that they had a legacy here of being responsive to the parents like you're saying but they were responsive and this was from the days where there were crunchy granolas who cared about my body my choice and they correctly put All of that stuff in the same basket, whether sadly abortion, but also pot and vaccines like you were supposed to have your own choices. Um, Schools couldn't kick you out without a good reason, whereas in the private schools, they could. So we've had a much harder time with the private schools, actually, than the public schools. And then now that brings out something that I'm really worried about, which is that the. There, I think this is an absolute global phenomenon. We're seeing it come down in every direction from Russia, but also in the school thing, what I call backdoor fascism, where you have the – because the public – because the government-run stuff has these established laws, rules, and whatever, that it will take some time to, to change, the private schools can just collude and – um, maybe they go to their overlords, maybe they get money from the overlords, I don't know, but they seem to all collude and then they'll make these rules that will then inform the direction of the laws. And I see like like the an a- analogy might be, the parallel situation might be Russia, where private companies are f- removing themselves from Russia and they're demanding that anyone who doesn't be canceled.
1: Hmm. Well, I, the other parallel would be the ESG score thing. And, when, yes, and, and, what's, and what's going on right now, for example, at Disney, Disney finally got a moderately conservative back in charge. And the first thing that happens is their employees start insisting they have to take far left positions on, on what's going on in Florida. And now they're donating five million dollars to the, those causes and they're and they're fully supporting those causes. And yet the, the, the protesters, the employees still walked out anyway. And it's going on for a lot of corporations. I wouldn't even call it backdoor fascism. <laughs> fascism by definition is when the when the Big business goes along with what the government tells them to do, and about the only only way it's still backdoor at this point is maybe not all government is on the side of the far left, but a lot of the places it is, and that's what the corporations are doing. They're, they're
3: see, in- I don't, I, I think it's the opposite. I think the ESG and the World Economic Forum are through powerful corporations informing the government those those elected officials what to do. And as a matter of fact, Event One, which is where they plotted a novel coronavirus, this was in October 2019. They talked openly about using soft power, taking oligarchs or corporate leaders, rich guys, and ha- in different countries and having them give phone calls to make phone calls to elected officials who were not. Um, towing the line and pressuring them. They call literally called it soft power. They use that word, and that's what they're. So it looks. That's why I call it the backdoor fascism or reverse fascism because I really feel like. And I'm hardcore libertarian. I blame the government for everything, but I don't know what it is that drives. Obviously, they got so big because they used the regulatory state to keep competition at bay. So the globalists did become what they were by corrupting government in the first place but i feel like they're calling the shots now
0: real quick i want to let matthew jump in on this because we were talking about education and matthew you get the byproduct of these high schools right i mean you're in the college level and what concerns you let's get your feedback on what you heard that that exchange between monica and
2: eric about the about the education stuff
0: and if you want to jump in on esg feel free to
2: as well Um, I mean, I, I would probably take the, the happy medium between the two of you. I think it's a mutually reinforcing uh, process right now that the administrative state effectively has become very, very left wing uh, and corporations have made a deal, uh, a, a marriage made in hell with, uh, with the woke in order to take on the moral quality that being woke presumably gives you. Uh, and the woke benefited because they got money from the corporations to spread their, 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 their ideology. Um, so it, it, yeah, it's, and both groups hate each other, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> or perhaps fortunately. Yeah. Uh, so that's why it's a marriage made in hell. Um, and then you can extend that, I think, into the administrative estate pretty well as also in the sense that uh, these are largely people who just want to be effective at what they're, what they want to maintain their control I see this all the time in uh, uh, at the university where you have people with their little fiefdoms and they want to hold on to their little area. Um, it happened at, uh, at the FDA when I was working in cancer research. The the whole notion of, um, it was passed during the Trump administration the right to try <laughs> legislation where people could uh, seek out experimental drugs and, and have the right to try under that legislation, but nobody, Grants it, no corp, no pharmaceutical companies will go near it because they know that the FDA has its fiefdom. The FDA, if you if you start giving out some of your experimental medications, the FDA will come down you on you harder than a ton of bricks. Uh, with every, and they'll they'll bring in their. I've seen this personally. They'll bring in their auditors and they'll ding you on everything, um, as as a means of getting back at you for making use of 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 the right to try legislation. Donald Trump himself did not use right to try when he got access to some of the experimental medic- medications that he got when he had COVID-19. Hmm. He went instead through the FDA's expanded access program, which is what they want you to do. So they have they all have their little fiefdoms. They all want to stay, you know, in in doing what they're doing. Um, and then of course we have the the unholy marriage between the the woke and uh, corporations. Um, and as far as the education system is concerned. That's a whole nother conversation. But I, I, I have Monica for your benefit. I've removed my son, uh, my wife, and I from uh, the public school system. Uh, we're homeschooling him now, um, mm-hmm. primarily because I'm concerned about indoctrination from any side. I don't care whose side it is, um, and uh, that is that's been going wonderfully. It's been going very well. Um, and one thing that I'm I'm trying to take into account. Is, based upon the educational psychology literature, is this notion that if if you really want to teach someone something, if you really want that student to learn something, they have to spend on average about 10 times as much time as we are spending teaching them. So they'll get these little 90 minute or 60 minute blocks, three or five days a week, and they don't learn it unless if they are immersed. Um, but the, 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 the upside is they learn it. The downside is you have to spend a huge amount of time on that one thing, and it comes at the cost of this broad-based education that we love uh, in in the West. So um, that's, that's, that's where I'm.
3: That really validates something that I observed, and I'm not. I, I maybe I should be because I'm mostly a mom. You know, mom is my primary job. I should probably be better at the education stuff and all that, but it's just I'm. I'm not great at that kind of thing. I'm not great at thinking of it that way. <laughs> But I did have my instincts right because when, when I, uh, I was a really good student, always kind of straight A top my class, even though I did drop out of high school. But that was, uh, that was, a, that is a story for another day. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, but I was a really great student and I walked away from that. I went to school till I was almost 30, uh, knowing almost nothing. I was like, I really don't know anything. I And if I send my kids to school and they walk away from school when they're, 13 or whatever, 18, if they know anything, I'll be happy. So if they know a different language, if they know how to play the piano, I don't care what it is. If they know anything, I'll be happy. And uh, so I I agree with you, completely validate my instincts on that. At For elementary school, I did find a school that was run by home, former homeschoolers, and I had just Googled trivium and Catholic, and that's all I wanted. And they really did get what the you know the grammar element was rote memorization. Then they got their logic, and now they're in these private schools, which are absolutely very high end private schools in the in the like senator U.S. Mm-hmm. senator mold. That I kind of got tipped off to that from John Taylor Gatto, and the politics are just awful. But they are teaching them like Shakespeare. And real primary sources, they know how to write. My son had to do a speech recently, or he's working on it, where the speech had to be 25 sentences or more, and every single sentence had to have a rhetorical device, and all 25 rhetorical devices had to be used at least once in the speech, and you had to not notice it. It had to be and it, and he chose this poor guy. I'm so worried about him. He chose uh, the truth you don't want to know about Ukraine, (laughs) <laughs> uh-huh. oh. and the awesome. teacher warned him like who who are wh- what is your audience going to be and they finally agreed it had to be invitation only because
0: i was going to say are you going to start abused. interviewing
3: other schools yeah no but he he opts into this school he opts yeah. into the school because well, he's the only unvaccinated person at the school as far as i know but he oh, i shouldn't even reveal that because it's you get you're get ostracized. you
0: just kidding We're well
3: joking. he i don't even know what to say because he might get ostracized but um, you know it's a secret; they they don't reveal to their credit. But he he can separate out the propaganda from the techniques they're teaching him, and the primary source. And the kids are smart, so they argue against it You know, against uh, you have to be sophisticated in your propaganda when your audience is intelligent. And yeah. I always call that haute propaganda. But he's he is learning that stuff. And I did choose to send to those schools because of that higher level stuff. And homeschooling is where you can actually get that done. Uh, I just felt I didn't have the time. And that is a regret I have about the podcasting is that I really, I was spending all my time trying to um, crack the code on the bigger picture things. And I really should have, you know, you really get, uh, women get uh, really propagandized to think that there's no validity in the role of wife and mother, like you really, so I went to school, I went to Stanford and Harvard, like for me to be like, okay, I think I'll be a stay at home mom just was not something I could live with. And then maybe it was God's will. I got my first son had down syndrome and he was very high functioning, but very unruly. And I really couldn't work outside the home. Um, and that was a good thing. But, uh, because of that, because of that, uh, you know, just mindset i i could have put all of my mind into doing what you're doing with your wife and and then i could have shared it with you guys right now you know but they they took me and made me redundant they put me in a world of lawyers and bankers and there are plenty of lawyers and bankers
0: but there are 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 a lot of
3: great you know stay-at-home homeschooling moms there are a lot of great homeschooling moms but they'll never be enough
0: but Matthew, you brought that up a couple episodes ago we, when we were talking a little bit about, you know, and, and that's a different podcast, but we've been down this road a little bit on propaganda. People who think they're, they're, they they can educate themselves out of being prone and being affected by propaganda are usually the ones that are affected by the propaganda. I'm affected by propaganda. I mean, propaganda works. It's just advertising is all it is. And, and I was in that, I'm in that world all the time. It's advertising and marketing works. And governments use it just like Coke does and Chevy and Ford and Disney. Uh, governments use it too. I'm going to say one thing and then ask a big question because I know I'm going to keep track of everybody's time. Eric, if you're okay with that. Here's my, my statement first is I think they are trying to keep us, I think they're going to almost make it where well, you cannot be off the grid anymore. Here's why. Once digital currency comes in, you're not going to be able to be off the grid. You, you, you can have the remote farm you want to all, all you want, and you can you can find other people to trade your chickens with, but when you want to buy things for your farm or if you want to make any purchases, they're going to know where you're at and who you are.
3: You know what did that? The thing that did that was Obamacare, and that's why I objected to it. Obamacare that was that the your first only thing? protest
0: ever. You went. Yeah, a- well, I went
3: three times. Well, my mother used to take me to Washington for, on January 22nd, but I did for all, everything they, every protest against Obamacare in this, in DC, I went to. And the there were a couple of reasons, two reasons, but the one to your point was that the, uh, the selective service is is one thing where you absolutely have to register, right? But not all women have to, they're working on that. But you have to register. The But not everybody has to register. With Obamacare, every single person has to account for themselves or you're in trouble. And I said, that's it. That's it. You're not allowed to be off the grid anymore. It's and, and yes, I agree with you, digital currency and all of this stuff for sure. But uh, yes, that was already in the works. And I think it's absolutely true.
0: Eric, before I ask my big question, you want to say something, some of the stuff you've heard. Something I'm about?
1: just, I'm enjoying this, making lots of notes. I, I get, Monica, there's so much we need to talk about. We need to come back and do this again. Sure.
3: Absolutely. I didn't know. I thought we had an hour. I would have made my... Oh, we do. You go, oh, to Tom. Okay. We got yeah. to that yeah. point I, point. Yeah. Uh, I don't stop. I'm a fire hose.
1: No, there's, there's there's just so much. Uh, really quick on the Obamacare thing. Did, uh, what they found unconstitutional was the individual mandate, right? Did that undermine the i mean the statute itself if it had stayed in place would have made everybody essentially registered because you have to be accounted for your your status of whether you're insured or not uh but if they if they took away the individual mandate that may have undercut that i just uh, we could go into the weeds about it well
3: i mean the whole thing is against the 10th amendment
1: oh sure it is
3: the whole thing is I, i if i had to restore one amendment believe it or not it would be the 10th amendment
1: which is coming up soon, by the way, Clint. That's we're about seven, or eight weeks away from that because it's yeah. we're going through the the Bill of Rights and our other podcasts. Yes, slowly, I know. It's slowly fantastic. but surely. The, I, well, let's go. Let me really quick on Obamacare because you you raised my you raised my interest. One of the things that I think is fascinating is that the Supreme Court threw out the individual mandate, but it upheld the overall scheme of the statute. But it up, up, upheld the overall scheme of the statute on the grounds. That those rules could be imposed under the uh, the taxing provision of Article One, Section Eight, except then that bill did not arise in the House; it arose in the Senate, which by definition makes it unconstitutional. I've never heard anybody explain that
3: before. Right, it takes people like you and me
1: to cover that.
3: Yes. And uh, that's when people started saying they've got something on John Roberts. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're a conspiracy theorist. And then the, his name was on the Jeffrey Epstein manifest on one of his flights. But the, the whole thing about Obamacare was absolutely a conspiracy with the Republicans. And I have a hashtag. It will take a Republican. Ted Cruz had that when he was doing that filibuster. He was right. He would have stopped it. If the, if the Republicans had gone along with him there, it would have just stopped. Remember? Mm-hmm. Can't remember. It was a procedural issue. But yeah, he got it.
1: I, yeah, and, and the problem is there's too many squishy Republicans who would say, "I'll let them go ahead and pass it," so the world can see how bad the bill is. No, well, that's
3: the- just a lie.
1: I, I think there's some of them that believe that. That they.
3: But you know, do I, when I look at even the Brit, this is another weird thing. Like the British Parliament or the way the Russian Sergey Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia. When you hear other countries talk, they actually sometimes have to sound smart. Why do our guys just get to sound so dumb and nothing makes sense? There's no logic to it. Nobody has to ever explain any logic that I attribute to a hundred years of intentional dumbing down of America, starting with Dewey. Charlotte Ezerbite talks about it. She was in the department of education under Reagan. And she was like, something's not right here. And John Taylor Gatto, of course, the master of that topic.
1: Well, let me, I'm, One of the other things I do is I'm the Tennessee chair of the Braver Angels organization. I don't know if you've heard about them, but it's an organization focused on patriotic empathy. It's sort of what Matthew does with his his studies about trying to get people that are red and blue to speak to each other. It's getting ordinary citizens to have patriotic empathy for each other, not have automatically assumed that the other side is bad. So it's, it's one of those ways I've tried to right. keep my foot in the system. And for every leadership position, they have a red person and a blue person. We've been kind of fighting over the idea of, well, if you're a libertarian, I guess we've been assigned the red position within Brave Angels. But the the short, I'm going to give away an inside baseball secret of this. We have had purposeful conversations where we get red people and blue people together and ask each other the really tough questions. Why does your side believe this? We Do you really believe blank? and the one thing i'm going to i'm going to say that i think is really difficult is i can't tell you how many people that vote democrat when you ask them a specific policy question or a specific question about the constitution what's the limit on government should the government be able to solve all problems any of those kind of questions what's going on right now with the gas prices the almost universal answer is well i don't know i just vote for the right person cuz i trust them to do the right thing right and that is like a huge thing within that demographic.
3: And I answer that with, well, what you don't realize is that Republicans like Hillary Clinton pose as Democrats. So I, and hey, I, hey, <laughs> hey, what the hell? I'm just messing with you, Clint. But the but the reality is they call her Killery, right? So Democrats don't really think that the that the warfare state and her policies as a Secretary of State are consistent with Democratic ideals, but because she chose to put a D next to her name, they trust her. And what's to stop a, a Republican from infiltrating the Democrat Party? And, and then that will make their heads explode usually. But I, I'm I'm sure you're not there to make their heads explode, which is good. Well, so the, the
0: two things that I'll bring up and that's kind of run into each other, one is um, Eric, you, and Matthew, and y'all include me on a text message on a very specific topic about minimum wage. But the overall consensus was people know better the, there are smart people involved and they say things to appeal to the low information voter. Because they, 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 I feel morally right by voting for the person who said the right thing or created the right bumper sticker. So that makes me feel good. I'll vote for them. They know the smart people know they can get that. Ha- they can make that happen. But they're also knowing that by putting that in place, they get they get further down this road of those intended consequences. They know what's going to come. With yeah. And so this goes back. I say that to to kind of go back to what Eric said. And here's the meat in the arena. How? Uh, what do we expect from our government eric you alluded to it a minute ago but i think when we get in these conversations i think there's a lot of americans now that just say yes free college college isn't free somebody's paying for it it's what do we want from our government is that not where all this goes back to eric or monica or matthew let me let me, let me
1: let me restate what you said and make and throw this as red meat to monica The people who propose raising the minimum wage, the people who actually are at the policy level, they understand that will contribute to inflation. They understand that that will be a bar to young people getting those low-end jobs like teenagers, especially minorities, from being able to get entry-level jobs when you raise the minimum wage to only be the level that can pay adults. They understand that that will do all kinds of other damage to the economy, but they're for it anyway, and they run on it anyway, because the low information voters who just vote for the person who says the right things and the nice things is going to get them more money in their paycheck, and, but they're doing the harm anyway, and it's intentional.
3: I would go a little one step further than that and say that they're getting buy-in for those policies by those from those people because they promise them something that doesn't even make sense on the surface. But they really, really want it and they want two things. They want the inflation. They really want the inflation because that is what creates that wealth gap and really um, impoverishes the wage earner. Because like the perfect example is when you go to a gas station, and the price of gas goes from $2 to $5 to $10 a gallon, the guy who works behind the counter has been making $10 a gallon the whole time. So all of a sudden, what he can buy is a fifth. And that makes the guy who owns the gas way, way richer than the wage earner who will never be able to save anything. And then he will always be dependent. He will always be a handout voter. And then you also have what I think is another thing is they want to eliminate all those lower-paying jobs and replace them with iPads or that kind of thing. So then you've got – and they want to blame the worker for that, the way I think some corrupt unions – got such ridiculous like the old stevedores or whatever such ridiculous contracts that it was sure to eliminate and i think that was because they knew there were going to be containers coming they wanted to blame it on the worker and and they did get the minimum wage they wanted by putting the inflation first so see they put the inflation first during lockdown because they gave up on getting a 15 dollar minimum wage and there is you can't hire anybody legal in this country well in this state in this state for less than fifteen dollars. and I think that that's what they want. it's a it's mostly to impoverish people, but they get you to vote for it with their lies. kind of like the withholding tax and the beginning of the income tax. it's just one percent. It's just on millionaires, you know, they just but it's really for this much bigger plan that has nothing to do with the issue that they're presenting.
0: I I think they appeal to our morality to make us feel good, you know. We, but Matthew, what, I, I saw the exchange between you, between you and Eric. What give me your take on this minimum wage thing and and what they've what Eric and Monica just said.
2: I I think uh, Monica and Eric, you you spoke to a lot of the concerns that I also have about it. You know, I, there was a time when I probably was more. Po- uh, uh, amenable to that to the idea of a minimal wage until i actually began to start looking into what the knock-on effects and consequences were the moment that you do it um uh, thomas soul certainly was was very persuasive in the arguments that he made in that arena for me at least um you know that i i, I see a similar pattern that you're that you're describing monica um you know when when the gas prices started going up the stages of the propaganda was it, uh, you know, inflation's not happening. Then the next step was, yes, it's happening, um, but it's not gonna be that big of a deal. And now we're in the, it's a good thing phase. Um, yes, it's happening and it's good. Uh, and we, because we can use it to catalyze a revolution in our energy uh, process, our energy use. And so I'm seeing a lot of my friends on the left who are sort of arguing, well, you just need to buy a, a less, fuel or more fuel efficient right um ignoring for the moment of course the fact that the more fuel efficient your car the more expensive it is on average which means who's going to get hit by inflation the worst again the most poor people um and when you explain that to folks they're like oh yeah that makes sense and then the talking points still don't change uh, it's, you know, everyone's <laughs> still being encouraged to go buy a Tesla, despite Elon Musk being, you know, little, literally the devil for the left within, what, six months of today? Like, it, it wasn't that long ago. Um, yeah, it's, uh, there's, it, it's really, really hard to get people to to think through things like this, unless, like Eric, you were talking about, you really do sit down and take that sort of active listening Socratic approach of, all right, let me understand kind of how you work through these ideas uh, within the context of your, your position. And very, very quickly, I find most people break down and realize, well, I just don't know what I'm really advocating for or why.
3: What about, that reminds me of what I think Tho Bishop is doing and the Mises Institute and some of the People were saying, like, let's take these things issue by issue and go to the legislators. I, I think they're usually Republican in that case, but, you know, they're not libertarian enough for us. But if you go to them and just hit the issue, you can actually build a coalition across parties. And, and maybe that's the way to do it. Maybe it is the, the you know, gig, gig politics, just getting it down to that granular level.
1: Hey Monica, let me let me take that what you, what you just said to the gig politics and run with that for a quick second because I'm
3: putting that in my glossary. I'm try
1: I, I, I think that's I think that's important because it fits into what Matthew and Clint and I have had a running conversation about Martin Gary's book, The Revolt of the Public. And if you haven't read that yet, I we highly recommend it. Okay. Um, and the, the premise is he's a, C, a former CIA analyst, and he goes back and analyzes how much information was available on the internet in the year 2000. It doubled each year after that. The the equivalent of the entire knowledge of mankind and written the written word around the year 2000 uh, was when the internet had that much information, and we've doubled it every year since for 22 years now. It's been at least doubling. So the the part of the premise of the book is the genie is out of the bottle. The public is no longer relying on certain institutions for the, for the flow of information.
0: Like CBS. You don't have to go just to CBS.
1: Right. So it's the opposite of the authority, the authority, the authority approach is the world is now aware that you can do some research and find out on your own that you've been lied to that, that there's this other information out there. And it's led to things like the, the, what happened in the middle east in the revolutions there in egypt and it's some of the stuff that's happened in in uh europe his premise in his book is that it's contributed to those things but what it also has contributed to is this awakening of people like us who are able to have these kind of shows talk to people educate them and it also is contributing he said to a lot of the nihilism of gen of the millennials and the, and the gen zers because they've been promised all this stuff and then over promised by the government and under delivered. And the more that they try to learn stuff, the more they realize it's all a bunch of bull crap, but it's all it's all part of this new uh, information age and misinformation age, but where the, it's the, the the gig politics I think is part of it, that you can go learn about a particular issue and really learn it well, that people can have conversations where it's not only filtered through the, the big three or four networks, that kind of stuff. Um And, I, and it, one of the questions is to kind of, you know, as we get toward the end here, what's the end result of all that going to be, do you think? Where where are we going? Are we going toward more freedom or less less freedom? Disaster or... Well, and real, or well real quick, too. We heard, a,
0: we heard a podcast with Dave Rubin, at least I did this weekend. I'll talk to you about it off the air, Monica. I, I'm anxious to see what you say about this because I think it's going to be some sort of economic or cultural... Divide that's already kind of in place.
3: Yeah. Uh, okay. I can address all that stuff. I uh, and then
0: I saw you shaking your head you? at it. Oh, the because
3: great. the the social media as the catalyst for the Arab Spring, I think, was totally contrived by the powers that be, but. That's just one thing. So, but yes, so the genie is out of the bottle. This is the way I think of the continuum of the internet as a limited hangout. So my mom is the Fox News generation of conservatives. Then I'm the like conspiracy theorist because I saw the truth about 9-11 unfold before my eyes. I, I was on the radio for Boston Marathon bombing. So I had to find out all the facts because I wanted to be able to answer people's questions. And you do not want to dig into that because the scales will fall off your eyes and you're not going to be able to glue them back on. So, so I'm totally aware of the truth. And that was allowed to happen. It was just the way they put theaters in small town America. They had to use censorship to get people to accept it. And then they Pulled the censorship away. In order to get the internet to be accepted, they had to make it valuable to you. It had to give you information. It Had to give you connectivity that, with other people, that you couldn't find anywhere else. And now they're using um, piracy and terrorism and every other thing to impose censorship and surveillance. They're finally the truth about the internet is coming out. And what are our kids seeing? They're not seeing that because it's censored. Ever since the Parkland massacre, the truth about. Uh, these kind of events is absolutely scrubbed. It's my I have YouTube videos that are deleted by YouTube before they are uh, fully uploaded. And the uh, so now we have the TikTok generation. They're getting all their news from TikTok. Now I live in California, so it's different for us probably. But I can see that it's a v- highly demonized to have an open mind when it comes to this stuff. But I feel like the nihilism is maybe the left's version of the black pill, which is very easy when you actually look at the truth of some of these things. That worries me tremendously. And uh, I worry that all these narratives, even when they're true, even the conspiracy theory stuff or the left-right stuff or the identity politics and um, that... The, that even if you know the true story, like that's why I was worried when Vagano wrote that thing about Ukraine, That was like everything that I already knew. I'm like, okay, so this is true, but it may still be weaponized because, and I feel like they're doing this on the world scale with Russia and China versus the US. It's It's as if they decided to bring back the Cold War because... They thought that having United Worlds would give, say, these globalist corporations, which I think are highly powerful right now, uh, that it would give them the market for consumers that they wanted. But what they have found was that, or maybe they anticipated this, maybe it was all phased, but what they have found is that the competition for production, for supply, is more than the benefit of the consumer. So they want to go back to a two-bipolar world because it, it bifurcates and it can it can bring you some more profits if you don't have this race to zero from everybody in the on the planet, uh, but I think that part of that is they're also weaponizing the cultural divide, the political divide, so that we we you need conflict to need government, and if you have enough money, if you have enough um, harmony you understand the true nature of society, which is it's the order is based on morality, which I think is innate. Um, So I know that's a lot, a lot of stuff out there, but I'm worried about the nihilism. I think the divide is intentional, and I think it goes not only economic, it's cultural, it's political, and it's worldwide. But
0: I I think it's intentional. And Matthew or Eric, you can go to this. I I think it's kind of easy if you zoom out, you can see it's intentional. And here's why. Four years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, go back to whatever starting point in your head. But me and you would disagree over politics, but we could go to a sporting event, sit next to each other, and we could root for the same team, right? Or we could go to our church that weekend, and I could sit next to you, and I really didn't know much about who you voted for. And if we did, we'd ah, I'm okay, you're okay, we believe in this foundational principle, or. We could go to our place of business and we might talk about it, but it used to be kind of taboo to talk about a lot of politics in the workplace. And so what they have done is just like splitting a log. I think they've inserted a wedge into each of these cultural foundational places where we could escape and find commonalities and bond around certain things. And now they've gone, Oh no, you're completely different. Even when you go to sports, are you kneeling? Are you standing? Uh, your church can open and your church can't. At the workplace, do you believe in this or do you believe in that? You have to go to this certain kind of training. So I think it's very intentional that they're inserting these cultural and morality uh, wedges. Do you not agree with that, Matthew? You've got to see it. You're dealing with young people all the time, dude.
2: Yeah, it uh, comes out of at least one of the places that I first have seen it arise was in feminist literature. Uh, the, the whole notion that the personal is political. It took everything that could possibly be personal to you. And the idea was to say, well, it is necessarily a political thing that, you know, regardless of what it is about you or your friends or the way that you interact, it has uh, not just political implications, but it is political. And so we couldn't have this space that was set aside where we could just go out and have a barbecue with our friends. And it would just be a bunch of people who liked each other irrespective of their their differences of, of perspective. And it's, I think that, and perhaps, Clint, you actually might be able to speak to this in, in far more detail than I could, but I think it's, it's really strongly drawing upon the, the whole notion of using marketing and propaganda to make us identify with the product of, that a particular company or group is selling, product, idea, you name it, right? It's now part of your identity to be a Democrat, to be a Republican, or to be a Trump supporter. It's not just something that you happen to agree with. Now it's who you are that you must be woke. And if anyone who is not that way, then they are denying the validity and, and goodness of your, your entire existence because that's who you are now.
0: Well, it's brand ambassadorship is what it is and companies die for that. And I can tell you right now, what is the best way right now for and and uh, Monica alluded to it earlier with Yelp. What is the best way to grow my brand if I can get other people to give me good reviews? What is the best way to spread the gospel if you're a Christian? Is to get you tell your personal story. What's the best way for Eric to get more business? Is for somebody like Clint who's used Eric to tell Monica how great Eric is, what they have done, and we've talked about this. They have made fans, which is short of fanatics. They've made fans out of us when it comes to our political parties. So I am not. I'm an Alabama fan, which means I will make excuses for them and I will admit all the evil they do with a, yeah, but everybody does it. Okay, great. Well, now I'm that same way with the Republican Party. I'm that same way with the Democrat Party, right? Yeah, but everybody does it. Don't you, you know, we're way better than Tennessee. And that's what they've done with politics.
2: Either one and, of you, Monica,
0: and, or, or anybody, go.
2: And companies too, Facebook, Twitter, yeah. I mean, it, it, everything has to now be built into our de- our identity. Yeah. So let me just let me throw one quick point out there then to Monica.
1: In, in 1944 or 45, when we were about to drop an atomic bomb on Japan, there was a real worry amongst the physicists that once you started that chain reaction, it was never going to end. And the dropping the atomic bomb was going to be the end of the world. It was just going to continue. Atoms were going to keep splitting and everything was going to be gone. And I think that's somewhat what's happening right now with this cultural wars and the other divides that are being created. The Democrat Party, is relying on identity politics to maintain their ma- majority because that's what they chose to do about 15 years ago, and so they are all into the idea that we need to push these identity politic issues, the critical race theory, the whites, the the the, the white fragility stuff, the the anti racism stuff. They're all into the George Floyd protest because that's how they were going to maintain uh their their dominance in politics but the result of that was they got the atoms to start splitting and we ended up with a summer of of horror in 2020 and we still have those problems Go to every one of these things, the teaching of this stuff in schools, the, the way that uh, the media now is, has their customer base is how they make money. So they have to write to their customers, not for their advertisers. That is expanding and, and contributing to the problems. So we have the problem of some of it's intentional, some of it's just the way the world works now, but it's all adding up to to explode out of control.
3: I think it's intentional. And I think to the extent there is an out of control element to it, that's intentional also. I think that they're very sophisticated. I think I could say it went all identity 15 years ago when Obama said, I'm not going for the white working class anymore. Or you could say it was 40 years ago with uh, um, the... I, I read a book by Guido Preparata, *The Ideology of Tyranny*, and it talks about Michel Foucault and bringing in these kind of underlying philosophies back then. But I have also a book from uh, it's a from the seven, like 60s or 70s piece from the wonderful people who brought you Vietnam and Korea, which was about how the UN was ushering in the UN treaty, which is totally unconstitutional, was ushering in an era where uh, race would be used as the litmus test for morality around the world. So, like this has been in the works for a really long time. And I also think that they they have a lot more, the way they have inside polls for politicians, they have inside psychology that they've been working on for a hundred years probably also. And I think Russia used to do a lot of that experimentation because we couldn't get away with it, but we take the benefit of that. And I think they know- it's a controlled chaos situation. I think they know what they're doing. And I think as far as what Clint was saying about this ideology, about the, or about uh, ideological fanatics, I I think that it's not, you didn't say it was ideological, but a lot of people think of it as ideological, left or right. I now think it's it's it just purely image. It's purely left, right image. And there's a basket of deplorables on one side or whatever on the other. And they, the powers that be put into those baskets, whatever they want. So one basket should not be communists and vax advocates that shouldn't be the same because the vax thing is a big pharma move. So why are the kids who are um you know getting communism and that kind of AOC kind of stuff off of TikTok also the ones out here anyway who are they literally think people who are vaccinated are murderers. And then you have you know why is the maga hat thing also the anti-vax thing? I feel like this has been this fanaticism is modular when it comes to ideas. They can just plug them in, and and they've already got somebody ready to go. Just like they can take a player off your football team and plug in another player, and you still love your football team, and now you love that player.
1: I guess one pushback to that, Monica, is the the Democrats have for a long time a reputation of we're going to put out big government policies, but. Damn the the unintended consequences, and they and they all. The, another book that we talked about on our, our podcast before is why most things fail. The more complicated the system, the, the more the more uh, complicated the solution, the more likely you are to affect other things within that system. And the uh, the other saying, you know, don't blame on uh, on uh, malice, which you can what can be explained by yeah. negligence. I hate that. Yeah, I, that's I, Hanson's
3: Hansen.
1: yeah, 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 I but Hansen's. but to some extent. When you're talking about this many things going on with this many people behind it, yes, a lot of it's intentional, but it, but at some point, there's going to be unintended consequences, and that's why I have some hope that that thing, that thing the way things are getting bad is it's not all a giant conspiracy. See, I think- a real quick, conspiracy Matthew-,
0: wait, hold a second. Matthew, you and I can completely get <laughs> off this podcast now.
3: The, The complexity is intentional because with complexity, you need controllers and that justifies the tech that you need to control it. I feel like if you go back and look at like Brzezinski 50 years ago, writing America in the technotronic era, you might, you might start to think that this was, this was part of the plan. Now they can't plan everything, but they can't plan every little thing, but they also do a lot of scenario planning. So, uh, the Event 201 was a scenario plan. The 2017 Spars thing was a scenario plan. The 2010 Rockefeller document about technology in the future was scenario planning, it had four different scenarios. So I think they know the, the basics, that, the big trends that they want to foster, and they just keep looking at the kind of, you know, tactical approach I highly recommend going back and looking at those three documents, particularly the 2010 Rockefeller Foundation um, document on technology. I can send you the notes on those because they show like four different scenarios. The 2017 document is amazing. Like it actually, it's on Johns Hopkins website. It actually says when you have a, and and they had a Democrat president in the scenario, but they said the Democrat president will promote uh, or will be skeptical about a, a therapeutic that we're going to use against this novel coronavirus. This was in 2017. And because the Democrat president is skeptical, the Republicans will embrace it. And we saw that with hydroxychloroquine. And this was written 3 years before that happened. Like that when you look at those three documents, I think you'll start thinking, wow, they really they can they they plan the direction. But this isn't this isn't
0: new. And I know we're running up on our time here. Monica, thank you very much for being part with us, but this isn't new. I mean, out of every chaos and every problem, there is there's those people that say don't let a good, you know, chaos or a good emergency go to waste. So it only make if we stop there, that makes sense. What I think a lot of us are scared to see is who is creating the chaos and the problems. Because if I know I created chaos in Monica's world and Monica's going to turn to me to fix it, then I it benefits me to create. Uh, chaos for Monica on a somewhat consistent basis. So she consistently reaches out to me and I can charge you for my expertise, right? Yes. So if I'm always shaking Monica's cage and she turns to me and goes, Hey, my cage is shaking. Can you help me? And I go, absolutely. I can help you with that. Six months later, I shake your cage again. Cause I need some more money. It's like shaking the change out of your pockets, right?
3: You can shake my cage anytime you want,
0: Clint. Oh, stop it! Hey, I want you to say. That, I want you to say that like your mother, though. Say it like your mother.
3: You can shake my cage anytime you want, Clint. There I love that, go. Clint. He's such a cutie. What is that boyfriend tennessee such a cutie that, she does but this a is a impression. woman who calls ron paul her cutie because she's yeah. 93 hey hey don't minimize somebody calling her sorry you know, hey, sorry no she's dog. got a crush on you but well, sure.
1: ron paul's not good looking i thought that was part of the attraction
3: i've hey, had dreams about ron paul so don't ask me but
0: hey I, I really hate that we didn't i just want to see this real quick thumbs up or thumbs down are you a dr fauci fan
3: <laughs> i don't want my thumb contaminated with any connection with him at all I've, i don't I've, think I've, the lab leak was a leak
0: see i'm telling y'all monica would be i would love to get monica on these podcasts more often we need, we need to
1: have you on more monica if you all watched the doc if you watched the documentary on the daily wire yet where they go through dr fauci's background
3: I'm, I, no, but my brother died of AZT about, poisoning, so I'm no fan of Fauci. That's for oh, sure. Yeah, it, hey, I, I was think talking it was a pretty over
1: good documentary, mind. documentary, but it's a little short. If you get a chance to watch it, you <laughs> got to subscribe to the okay. Daily Wire to get yeah, it.
0: Yeah, I can do that. But real quick, yeah. Eric, I was talking over Monica. Say what you said about your brother again, because I think people missed that.
3: Oh, he died of AZT poisoning, which oh, is what cow. he thought. Yeah, he was died. He was totally asymptomatic. He was quitting IV drugs. And he just got an HIV test or an AIDS test just to like have a clean bill of health. He had no symptoms whatsoever. They started giving him AZT. His, you know, AIDS symptoms emerged and which are side effects of the, what was a class X drug. He said, this drug is killing me. He stopped taking it, but it was too late and his liver failed. And they said he died of, you know, AIDS, but he died of AZT poisoning. So I always was a skeptic of Dr. Fauci when I saw him putting people on ventilators and remdesivir. I was like, I would definitely do your own research.
1: Monica, I would love to have you back on to answer this question. What do you think got the medical community, the ordinary doctors out there to buy into that we can't talk about alternative medicines? We can't talk about treatments. I'm lucky I have a personal physician who's a buddy of mine who... I will share videos with, and he's totally on board, but he's telling me stories within his community that the hospital administrators and senior people will have these meetings on how to get more people vaccinated. And they start with anybody who doesn't get vaccinated needs to be put in a cattle car and sent off to a camp. Now let's talk about how we communicate better with these idiots. I
3: mean,
1: let's put that we'll on. I'd lo- love to have you back on to talk about that. One. We've got a few
3: things to talk about, yeah. don't we? Monica, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Matthew, Eric, thank you, but I will always see y'all most weeks. Monica, do me a favor. Tell everybody how to find your uh, podcast, please.
3: Okay, well, uh, it's a daily show, but a lot of supplemental material you can find at the Propaganda Report um, platform on your favorite podcasting app, and you can also go to the propreport.com, which is my website, and you can find me on Twitter at Monica Perez Show.
0: And are you still on Rockfin?
3: I'm on Rockfin, I'm on Patreon, I'm on Locals, but those are all paying things. So if you're new to my show, you get a lot of free content, too much free content, to be honest. Yeah, but anyway, so check it out. Thank
0: you. All right, are we good, everybody? Eric, Matthew, you want to say anything as we wrap it up?
1: Last thing to say is I actually went on the Locals and joined there, Monica. I like that really platform. Tasty. I'm trying to support you and that platform.
3: Thank so. you so much. Yeah, I love that platform. It's so, I, I love the I feel, I love the engagement. Totally, It's it's a community, private community. I love it.
2: Yeah.
0: Matthew, see you buddy. Everything good on your
3: end?
2: Uh, just trying to avoid the inevitable slide into or, into a uh, narcissism, I suppose.
3: <laughs> or nihilism. That's Nailism, the worst. That <laughs> All right, Narcissistic
1: nihilism. That's Matthew. I can see it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I would have
3: to say that's every little teenager on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and
0: everybody listening on our podcast platforms, remember Clint Powell's the guy that had the cool flag background. I'm the more patriotic of all four of us. Bye, everybody. Y'all have a good day.
3: <laughs> Bye, guys.
1: Good job, guys.